The spooning was free, but if you wanted a good fork, well, that'd cost you. Welcome to American Esoterica. If history class gives you the macaroni, this is the cheese powder. The essential stuff in between the personalities, events, and other ephemera that shape our history and culture. I'm Brian Powers. Let's start by rating this one PG-13, just because it veers into some awkward adult territory. If you're eating, especially on name-brand cutlery, you might want to stop for the next few minutes. American freedom has taken many forms, and it is a distinct facet of American life to try to mold society around one's particular faith. Sometimes that can lead to some unusual results, especially in the case of a small religious community in upstate New York. John Humphrey Noyes was born in 1811, son of a devoutly religious mother and cousin to future President Rutherford B. Hayes. He attended a tent revival at the age of 20 and found his calling, attending Yale Divinity School to become a preacher. While there, he became a proponent of a doctrine known as perfectionism, which is the belief that humans can be spiritually and physically perfect, free of sin. He came to believe that he had already become perfect and completely holy. He also believed that the kingdom of heaven could be made on earth, and that in turn prompted some of his more interesting ideas, but we'll get to that. Anyway, Yale gave him the boot over his views, and he then took up a life wandering and preaching throughout the Northeast. In 1836, he set up his first community in Putney, Vermont. They referred to themselves as Bible Communists. But let's clarify that it wasn't fully the Marxist brand of communism, as Karl Marx was only 16 at the time and had yet to write his treatises on the subject. It was here in Putney that his community put their more controversial ideas into place. See, according to Noyes, he was creating literal heaven on earth. And, according to him, there is no marriage in heaven, so there can be no marriage in his heaven on earth. It may have something to do with Noyes developing a decidedly non-puritanical interest in a certain devout follower who just happened to be married to someone else. He developed the concept of spiritual spouses and began advocating a form of free love, a term he coined in 1837. And by 1846, his commune just chucked the entire concept of monogamous marriages in favor of complex marriages. Basically, all the women in the commune were wives to all the men, and all the men were husbands to all the women. Sexual relations were allowed with the consent of both the parties, but accidental pregnancy was discouraged. Noise wanted the production of children to be very tightly controlled and only allowed to the most devout members of his group. Noyes had created a free love commune, which led to his arrest on charges of adultery in 1848. Noyes jumped bail and headed to upstate New York to start a new community, one that would last over 30 years. The secret to the community's longevity was that if you're gonna be a religious sex cult, 
it helps to have a source of income. The first community was bolstered when Noyes married a wealthy heiress. Of course, it was an open marriage in accordance with his teachings. This new community needed a bigger financial hook, but it got a fork instead. The new commune became a productive industrial community, ultimately finding success manufacturing silverware. We're going to take a brief diversion, though. In 1860, the community attracted the interest of one Charles Guiteau, who worshipped John Noyes. Guiteau came to the community and stayed for around five years. He was such an abhorrent man, however, that he couldn't seem to get any of the free love even if he paid for it, thus making him one of the very first known incels. He left the commune twice. He was so reviled when he finally left for good that the members had begun to call him by the name Charles Gitout. He sued Noise and lost, and he bounced from bad decision to bad decision until he seized upon the ultimate bad decision, a life in politics. It was probably no coincidence that about this time his father began to suspect he was possessed by Satan. At any rate, Guiteau became increasingly eccentric, believing that a small speech he had delivered was the catalyst that propelled James A. Garfield to the presidency. He insisted that he should be rewarded for his service and pestered the new president's administration incessantly. After being persistently rebuffed, Guiteau took matters into his own hands in 1881, shooting Garfield on the platform of the Baltimore and Potomac Railroad Station in Washington, D.C., coincidentally just a few blocks from Ford's Theater. Guiteau's affiliation with the commune did nothing to harm the community, considering that it was essentially over by the time of his presidential assassination. In 1880, the religious free-love communists embraced capitalism and reorganized as a joint stock company to crank out flatware in a more corporate manner, while Noyes fled to Canada to avoid legal trouble. The company became synonymous with quality silverware and still bears the name of the free-love commune in New York where it all began, Oneida. This has been American Esoterica. All sounds are made by me, Brian Powers. Did I get it wrong? Did I get it right? Just want to talk about how much love should actually cost if it's not free? Drop me a note. The address is yell at AmericanEsoterica.com. Thank you for listening, and God bless America.